Philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Mepropod. 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 The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a beak and feathers and things, but the poor old fella ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? I'm better to da-da-da. Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I can run the pants of a kangaroo. But da do 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 He can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. All right, then in that case, I had to get it in that time. Welcome to episode 137 of the MEP Report, May 5th, 2015. What is up, everyone out there? And, and uh, Story, I have to say, it's by the way... It's definitely not May 5th. It's, it's Cinco May 5th. de Mayo. Did I say plus, May 5th? Plus, plus you quattro. said May 5th. I and did? It's May 1st. I thought I said I mean, May 1st. It's probably like June 12th when people are listening. But <laughs> yeah. it's, I thought I it's, said May 1st. May 5th is a huge day. I would know if it were May 5th. Because I wouldn't be here. I would be working because it's the biggest oh. day of the year. Okay, my bad. Well, May 1st, then, is what I meant to say, May 1st. I have to say, by the way, I uh, having listened uh, to TMR 136, um, I realized that when you were asking me about the whole, what does it mean when you say, in that case, and they never know what the case is, that that actually yes. shot right over my head, and I thought you were referring to something about the date that I always say, instead of referring oh. to the in that case. And uh, now that I think of it, um, I don't know, usually. Uh, I think it's always <laughs> because I ask the question, are we ready to go? And you always say yeah. yes, and then I say, in that case. So right. this is just to confirm to everybody that we are always ready for the show when it starts. Despite what it may seem like, <laughs> we are always prepared. <laughs> Except that first one when we deliberately turn the show on like yes. in the middle of a sentence. To I make it thought... sound like it was found video or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always thought we were about to play deal or no deal. And so we're just putting the secret money in the final case. And you're like, which case? In that case. All right. Welcome. All right. Uh, oh, man. So what's going on? Russ Story and uh, Greg are all here for your uh, listening entertainment. And uh, th there's a couple things I wanted to run by you guys. But first, I wanted to ask, uh, since we're all fans of uh, many of these things, um, what do you guys think of what is being referred to in the New York papers as sports again? Uh, and the reason they call it sports again is that in New York, and we'll just take today as an example, or actually I should say tomorrow, um, there is the end of the uh, Brooklyn Nets um, uh, Atlanta Hawks series. There is uh, the Rangers playing the Capitals. We have uh, the Mets playing um, the uh, Detroit, sorry, playing the Washington uh, Nationals with Max Scherzer, multi-million dollar contract versus Matt Harvey, one of the best pitchers in the league. We have Red Sox Yankees going on. We have the Kentucky Derby going on. We have uh, one of the biggest uh, boxing fights between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao in many a year. And we have um, the uh, Kentucky, oh, we have the NFL draft on top of everything. So we have like seven or eight mega events and I was trying to think if we've ever had this many fairly significant at least American sporting events on one weekend I can can you guys remember a time when we had this much stuff at once going on like in a two-day span what golf tournament is going on I want to know that I don't know yes I also don't know about professional bowling I don't know what's going on there either 
I mean, boxing is less significant than either of these things, I think. So. Well, I, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm not saying that we like all footprint. of these sports equally. Yeah. I'm just sort of I mean, except that. that it's a sport that people will pony up 70 bucks to oh, watch from 90. the comfort of their home. 90 because now? What year is it? happens once every Jesus. three years. <laughs> Isn't that a like, level 90? Most sports have a season that happens at least once a year. Well, this fight in particular has been in the makings for about a decade, and people have been yeah. asking for it for forever, and nobody and it's believed five it would ever happen. It's five yeah, years and these guys late, are right? kind of a little bit too old, but yep. it's happening because there's too much money to not have it happen. So, yeah, but uh, but it just struck me because it just had like how much stuff was going on at the same time. I mean, and you know, for not so much New York centric stuff like you know the NBA playoffs in general, the NHL playoffs in general, the Derby, the fight, the draft. Um, just like like lots of stuff going well, on. Well, it's that time of year. I mean, it is the single month when the most things overlap anyway, right? Like you have those two playoffs, which, you know, there's hockey, I guess, barely makes it to that there's four major sports. And so two of them run in the exact same season, which mm-hmm. are hockey and basketball. And then they overlap because their playoffs now go on until like you know, winter. <laughs> yeah. um, they overlap with the baseball season start. So, you know, this is this is the time to do it. If you're going to have a concentration of all the sports, it's going to be in that period where you have those three already going. And, you know, baseball is significant because it's starting and everybody's still in it. And then the other two are in playoffs. So, yeah, you know, and then you have the off season for, for the, the other major sports. So it's in the draft. So... You know, and the NFL is the 12-month sport now because it's so popular. So, yeah, you know, throw on the, you know, boxing is like Haley's Comet. You know, it comes once every <laughs> seven years when it matters. It's so true. Then, uh, then you've got your, your storm. It makes sense. Yeah, it's really true. It is, it's amazing how, like, you know, for, you know, we, I think, have talked about how we're very event-driven people uh, on this cast. I mean, we all sort of have the same love for getting up for tournaments and, and, you know, being excited about particular milestone moments and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I feel like boxing has so few of them that it's almost too long in between. Like, it's one thing to have something where you say, oh, every year we do this or every six months we do this. But really, like, having a fight that anyone cares about once every five years is probably not going to make something sustainable, you know? I mean, Interestingly enough, and not to belabor the boxing points, I know how much we all love that sport. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think one of the main reasons it's gone out of fashion, in addition to all of the, the mixed martial arts, uh, ultimate fighting stuff that's becoming increasingly popular, is that the heavyweight champion, who's usually the face of boxing, um, for the last decade has been a Ukrainian born champion. Klitschko, and, right? He ju- yeah. Didn't he just defend his title, I think, too? He did. Nobody I, remembered. I just watched it. I watched it last night. He uh, defended his title against a, a more vital opponent than we've seen in a long time, but it was a, it was a decision. Not particularly exciting. That was uh, Dick, Vi- he, Dick Vitale, was the more vital opponent. So yeah, Dick Vitale. Exactly. Yeah. He and his yeah, brother. baby! Both of the Klitschkos have held one portion of the heavyweight belt um, since the beginning of the decade. And so for American sports fans, this is sort of a thorn in their side that they don't like seeing this guy parade with the heavyweight championships all around the world and not a single American champion can, you know, come close to being. He this should guy. fight Putin. They should, they <laughs> should, should do fight that. Putin on the back of a that bear. That is like the best marketing idea ever. They speaking should just be which, like, this is for Crimea. Well, speaking He's of which, Vitaly Klitschko, who had a piece of the belt, who's Vladimir's brother. I think I'm getting this right. It might be Vladimir. I get them mixed up. Yeah. Um, but he was actually the mayor of Kiev, and he actually played a pretty pivotal role in the peace negotiations uh, during when the ceasefire happened between There Russia you go, Story. He's like, I will give you peace for. or I will hit you with a right hook. <laughs> <laughs> how much? 
How and much would you pay to get into that match? The fate of an entire half country is yeah. on the line. And in point of fact, he was, he was a major contender for the new president of the Ukraine. And him throwing his support behind Poroshenko was the linchpin that got Poroshenko to become the popular choice in Ukraine. This is amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> See your fight of the century and raise you, my friends. That's yeah, awesome. That's that's everyone, the that's, yeah. Everyone wants the fight of the century would have been if the two brothers would have ever agreed to fight each other for yeah, however much money for yeah. a share of the heavyweight title. God. But you know, being rational people, they're like, why would we do that? No, we're not doing that. That would be that. Yeah. That would be pretty amazing, though. Like in the the secret untold story of uh, the way that he threw his uh, support behind the other guy was that they secretly had a battle. Um, you know, like a secret battle, like Bloodsport style, you know, somewhere in like some undisclosed location where uh, Klitschko ended up losing. And it was all filmed by UV Bowl, who also, as we know, fights people that he doesn't like, as we've talked about on previous shows. Um, that's, yeah. You guys that's, have a that's greater role in uh, world peace than, you know, Muhammad Ali ever did. <laughs> God. What, what exactly, can I ask, what is the obsession with, with, box, with Russians and boxing? Like, I feel like there's an obsession there that goes even beyond the uh, used to be American obsession. But Americans like you're just talking about the Klitschko thing. And I only happen to know that because I was literally driving past Madison Square Garden a few days ago and I saw the big poster and I'm like, oh, the heavyweight, you know, fight the heavyweight championship of the world was decided. I didn't remember that. You know, like I, I feel like the vast majority of Americans could not possibly care less anymore about boxing. But it seems like the Russians are still super into it. And I wonder, is that like, is that what Putin is feeding into with the whole riding topless in the back of a bear and all that well, stuff or whatever that I mean, is? I think partially they're so into it is because they've been rampaging around with the United States traveling trophy for a decade and we can't get it back. And they're just enjoying themselves <laughs> going, hey, you remember the sport you love so much? That's ours now. But that then Americans are like, us. I don't remember that. What was that sport yeah. again? You're like, damn it. Why don't you care? Remember Rocky IV? You're like, no, I don't really so remember. So we're God relegated damn it. to rooting for like welterweight and super welterweight fights as like our big fights because that's where the, the best American fighters are right now. But it just <laughs> but doesn't have the draw. My dad and used also to... the middleweight champion is another Ukrainian. Or no, he's from Kazakhstan. Oh, uh, Kazakhstan. Triple G. Uh, he's the most exciting fighter in the sport. He's knocked out like 20 guys in a row and he's another white Kazakh, non-American. And he's trying very hard, harder than the Klitschko's to be accepted by an American audience. But again... For the tried and true old patriotic boxing fans, I'm like, what is this? Why, why aren't we good at anything anymore? My dad used to talk about how the other weight classes didn't have the same kind of glamour as the heavyweight fight, and part of the reason for that was that he's like, you know, watching a bunch of 125-pound guys fight each other wasn't interesting. <laughs> like the flyweight guys, and your because they never could do anything to each other, so just like, hey, huh? And he was like, I think he said it was like watching bamboo sticks battle each other. <laughs> it's really a funny image. It's like he's like, eh, ah. Ah, well, yeah, you don't, not, you don't you know. want to have aspirations to be able to, if you're just like a regular sized person, then you presume I could beat a bantam weight champion probably right. just by pushing him around and right. being heavier than he is. Like, <laughs> I mean, in reality, he would destroy you. But right, right. If the fantasy is not exciting and it's this little guy, you're like, that's not so much fun. Exactly. I want the, the behemoths doing it. Exactly, but you believe the behemoths are going to just destroy you, um, which will be you know part of the whole madness of it. 
Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think it's interesting you bring this up because, of course, we're actually recording this uh, the day after the release of uh, the Avengers 2 movie, Age of Ultron. Uh, I assume Story will not ever see this movie, but uh, Russ, I'm, no. I'm, doub- I'm doubting you've seen it yet, but you will at I some point. I just came back from it. That's why I was Oh, okay. <laughs> so you did. So, so I see. I called this. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But, uh... So speaking of behemoths, um, but it struck me that there's been this this uh, you know this interest again. We've, been, we've talked about sort of the rise of the superhero or the re-rise of the superhero, but um, I don't know if uh, either of you, again, probably Russ has, Story hasn't seen the um, trailer for Superman versus Batman. Uh, which is going to be... Excuse me, Batman versus Superman. I beg your pardon, yes, Batman versus Superman. Let's get it right. We ought to make sure we get it right the one time he'll actually be above Superman. Hey-o! Um, but, uh, but it was funny, because you, you watch, and uh, it's Ben Affleck. Like, so you can imagine, it's like, so you show, it shows Superman, and like, you know, they're setting up like, the fact that maybe we shouldn't trust Superman. And then you show Batman, and so you see Ben Affleck looking really angry and filled with rage. And then you see him wearing like this bizarre armored suit with these like glowing eyes so he looks more or less like iron batman now and the end of the trailer just has the words of him saying do you bleed you will and i'm just kind of like so we've reduced anything about the nuance of anything to simply i'm going to angrily and in a you know low as possible voice from my robot bat suit say do you bleed and that's what we're down to. Like it, it really we, we've reduced all nuance just to not just having people beat the hell out of each other, but to do so in suits of armor, and that's it. Hey, speaking right? of nuance, um, we just went to this experimental thing when we were watching Ultron called 4DX, um, the hell which is, that? is not only it, I, as far as uh, Steph told me, it exists in like 20 theaters all across the country. Um, in addition to being 3D. You also are sitting on seats that move and buck and sway. <laughs> oh God! And it's like little, a ride. Yeah. Oh, it's like a ninety-minute roller coaster, which everybody wants to do. That don't they want a ninety-minute roller coaster? <laughs> <laughs> and little. This wind sounds like television success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly the parallel. Little yeah. wind bursts pop in your ears when things oh, fly God. by, oh, and God. they shoot fog at you. And no. No, in, in about you. in about ten seconds. I was like, I want off this ride. I do not, not want to do this. Yeah, we are so in our 30s. Good I know, day. I'm an old man. But I was being, like, there were things poking me in the back during certain yeah. scenes. I don't want to be poked in the back while I'm watching a Welcome, movie. Welcome, I, I believe. about that is, like, you yeah. lose trust, especially with it being experimental. You lose trust. Like, at a certain point, it's like, if the character dies, like, what's going <laughs> to exactly. happen to me? Is it going like, to pierce my back? Like, yeah, I mean, like, is he going to get poisoned? Because that happens to superheroes. Just like, why do I feel nauseous? Ugh. <laughs> and it was, it, it began to hurt within the first 30 seconds of the poking my back. And I'm like, I cannot. This is the worst. Let's, let's move. I'm, there's no way. I'm not even close to being able to sit through the first scene. And so we went out, you know, I talked to the manager, he gave us a refund for the difference and sent us to a, a regular old fashioned three D movie uh in the old fashioned store. In which they only jump out at you, not actually yeah. attack you. I was gonna say I wanted it to be going to the oldest possible version, so it's like some guy with a player piano, like dun 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 dun, 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 dun you know. Us, they gave us a flip book of Ultron the movie. <laughs> Why are there noises coming from the street? <laughs> and then the piano's like, so in in rewatching the first two minutes of the movie, which is all I could sit through in Smell-O-Vision 2015, um, 
I realized that I had remembered almost none of the things that happened in the first two minutes of the movie upon the rewatching, and I was like, that 40X is like Harrison Bergeron the movie format, where <laughs> yep. they just, there's so many distractions that like, it, it almost doesn't matter what's on the screen, because you can't, you can't, can't concentrate on it, no. Stuff. You guys you know now what? understand where I'm at. You are overmersed. That's the term, overmersed. You're not immersed, Completely. you're overmersed. Yeah. I, yeah. There was no chance I would. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, the Hulk shows up. How could you miss the Incredible Hulk? In the, <laughs> and then the you get punched in the back. Yeah. <laughs> I was just sitting there being pissed off at being prodded and poked, and I didn't even notice that like, main characters were saying things, clever things, good things, things I wanted to absorb. But that's but the frustrating thing. And that's it, right? I mean, that's the frustrating thing is that especially, you know, the Avengers in particular with the first one. I don't know if this is the same with the second. I've heard good things about it. But the first one was very, very well directed, well written. And there's a lot of nuance there, actually. A lot of, the, you know, just it's well written script. And, you know, I can imagine just sort of missing it in the zeal to be like, you are there. And I'm like, I, God, I don't, you know what it is, too? I don't understand why. I don't understand why filmmakers don't believe that people will continue to be immersed in the way that they have been for quite literally centuries, and that is with the power of the mind. Like, if you present a compelling enough atmosphere and setting and story, you will get them immersed. It's not like they're going to be like, listen, I don't feel like I'm there unless I'm being punched in the back. Like, they'll get there. Who was sitting there going, you know what, I want to be poked in the back? What person was like, I need this to, to really make my experience fit? Um, you know? My favorite line, and this is—I don't think there are any spoilers really couched within this. But my favorite line of the entire movie was Hawkeye uh, turns to this new character and he goes, "Look, we're we're flying through the air, we're fighting robots. I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense." And I was like, "That perfectly encapsulates <laughs> this entire experience." That's funny. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. That's Joss Whedon for you. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I think people are in such a hurry. I mean, this, I think, is sort of true with almost all of our technology these days. Like, you talk about shark jumping. Like, everyone is continually on the verge of jumping through the next threshold and the next threshold. Like, I feel like websites, like, most often redesign themselves and take a step backwards these yep, days of, yep, like, yep. here's features you never knew you wanted because you actually don't want them. And you're right. going to spend a lot of time looking for the features that brought you to this website in the first place. Yep. And, like, this happened with Poker Atlas, for example, where Poker Atlas became, like, unusable after being, like, a really great resource because they just changed everything around because it's, like, new design. Everyone wants new design because the technological landscape is such that everybody is terrified of being scooped by, like, whatever the next big thing is but yep. sometimes you don't need to be the next big thing you can just like as you say tell a good story in a compelling way um but nobody really believes in talent or merit anymore so they just want to be have the technological scoop well the funny thing is too right like i think and i think you're i totally agree with you except i think that actually most people who are consuming this do actually believe in talent and merit like they wouldn't classify it as such but if you put those people in front of a good movie that's well written as an example they will be like wow I'm really compelled and amazed by this why because I don't know it just seemed like a really great story I can't tell you how many times I heard that from students from people at all. I, I just love the story it was such a great story I'm like yes I don't know, you know Greg like IMDB if that were true IMDB wouldn't have Transformers 4 be the top rated movie of all time right now yeah, but it's uh, well. I mean, I would say two things to that. Number one, I think it's on different. Um, I think it's on different levels, though. I mean, I oh, think you that know, people. You no, know have... I was joking. Right? Oh, oh, okay, good. Yeah, I was, I was, like, really I, I, I was perfectly willing to go with that. I was, I was like, maybe you're right. I don't know. I just... The whole the whole point is, 
Okay, I, I was plausible, the so therefore <laughs> I, did, I, I thought I you were. I thought you were too right. hard there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I I would have believed you. I was like, okay, no, 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 <laughs> no. It's like Shawshank Redemption followed by like The Godfather and Casablanca. Oh, okay, like, okay, good then. Yeah, <laughs> so we're all in the same. Even boat. now, even to this day, I mean, like, like more recent movies are slightly overrated, probably versus well, yeah. where they should be. But yeah. like, none of them are in the genre. Like, they all have the basis of. Good storytelling, very few special effects. Like, yep. and, and we know what's behind, you know, these terrible franchise movies, which is not only the lust for profit, but now the lust for international acceptance. So that they have to make a movie that is so dumbed down that a Chinese audience can watch it, and even if the translation is poor, the the writing is secondary to the effects and secondary to the the American movie making, you know, bravado that's put behind the piece, and that's where they make half or more of the money for these things, which is why in Ultron there was like a major scene that happened in either a Korean city or a Chinese city because that's going to play for half of the audience that watches this movie. They're going to look forward to a, a commentator, a news commentator saying something they understand. So it's kind of a, a globalization sort of dumbing down effect of all of these franchise movies is that they all have to be applicable to everyone. And in that way they're good for no one but I, but you know though i'm not convinced though that it's that these things have been dumbed down in the same degree you know in a lot of ways a movie like again the first avengers was a lot less dumbed down than other action movies of its ilk and and you could say the same thing about something like uh you know i think the batman's the batman trilogy with christopher nolan was actually very very good storytelling um i i don't know that i would agree that it's dumbed down and i think those movies still did a phenomenal in fact had the dark knight returns uh you know not been marred by the colorado shooting incident which would really like impacted its first weekend it already you know did a tremendous thing you know tremendous work at the box office um and internationally did phenomenally but it would have done even better in the american market were it not for that little you know that significant sort of financial hiccup at the very beginning i mean let alone what the actual human cost was yeah it was also um, a terrible movie though that was the dark really a dis- yeah that was like a really disappointing end to what was like one of the only superhero like series that i could actually sit with. through because it was pretty good like because, i like the dark knight because like, they the nolan to the end because the end was nolan because christopher nolan nolan to the end of that movie oh, not necessarily the just the end like i yeah. feel like like most of the movie before was like sending the message that Occupy Wall Street is evil, and then like, and then evil. it finished with a terrible ending. So, like, Ooh, that wasn't my read. I, I got the opposite. That was very much my read. No, was, yeah, Bane, Bane, and Bane, his, who is uh, the villain? Yeah. Like, it's hard to miss who's the villain and who's the hero, right? Like, like the villain is basically Occupy Wall Street, and he actually yeah, but like, he's doing it for utterly it. manipulative reasons, though, without without getting them to focus on the actual reality. And in fact, you know, Gordon and the rest of them acknowledge that they haven't paid attention at nearly enough attention to the class systems in the city to begin with, which Bane was able to exploit. I, I mean, think I it was very clear that Bane and his movement was a mockery of the kind of socialist Occupy Wall Street movement that had just preceded the movie's release. Like, but I mean, mockery. I thought that was pretty clear. Mm. I, don't, I didn't get that at all. I mean, that I, was very much what I got out of it. I, I mean, I definitely agree that it's obviously playing into it. I did not at all see it as a mockery, though. I thought it was. I thought it was pulling on the point. I was pulling on the impact of those movements. I didn't think it was mocking those movements. Well, I just thought it was Nolan saying, "Here's what happens if you allow revolutionaries to tear down your institutions and put up kangaroo courts in their place. Like this is what you're going to get." Oh well, uh, I mean, yeah. 
I get. I mean, look. I mean, pro, I mean, yeah. I guess. I mean, the kangaroo court part is probably true, but I don't know that that was an attack per se on Occupy Wall Street. Anyway, um, I mean, I agree with you guys. My my view is that Batman Begins was my favorite of the three, actually. Um, and I thought that uh, Dark Knight was very good. I I thought Dark Knight Returns was the weakest, but I still thought it was solid. Um, but I, I definitely it was too long for one thing, and um, I thought, but I thought, and I thought it was the weakest. But uh, I I don't know. I mean, I. I guess what I would say, though, is that, or for example, or the, the X-Men, the first X-Men movie directed by Brian Singer, um, is another movie that was not dumbed down. In fact, you could make a pretty significant argument that it was, it was aiming awfully high for a movie that I would argue started the new trend of well-directed superhero movies, where they didn't keep going back to the same crappy, like, directors they had time after time, but they actually had to reach a little bit and go... You know, because if anyone told you 15 years ago, who should we get to direct a superhero movie? Let's make it the guy who directed The Usual Suspects. I don't think that would be the first person that you came up with in your mind. But it was a great choice. Um, just like Nolan with Memento and everything else was a good choice for that next series. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I, I feel like, I mean, I take your point overall. But I don't necessarily think, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that audiences want this stuff dumbed down the way that the people producing it for them think they do. I don't think audiences are clamoring for stuff to be easier. I think they're clamoring for good movies regardless, and maybe they don't run out and like protest that the movie wasn't smarter or something. But I feel like the fact that they go out... I mean, Inception, which I don't think you could argue was a dumb movie, was a very significant box office hit. A huge box office hit, despite the fact that if you but it sold had, it... As- as we've talked about, like needless action sequences. But is that, that what sold it? Do you think? That you think like... that sold it though? I don't no, I don't think it. it sold it at all. But I think that what uh, the trend that Russ is talking about about trying to be everything to everyone made that a significantly worse movie. Like I think that could have literally been like one of my five favorite movies of all time. But it was just disjointed with all of these stupid action sequences in it that didn't make any sense. And it lost some of its intellectual rigor because there was just like, now you're slam-bam interlude for no reason. Um, And I think, like, I mean, I really feel like if they made Shawshank Redemption now and wanted to make any money with it, like did anything other than try to be like a total indie hit, there would just be like three random bloodbath fight scenes that like make no sense in the middle. No, I mean, really, like... There would just be like these non sequiturs to try to do it. And yeah, would they ruin the entire movie? Probably not. But it's this trying to capture, it's like you're hitting your check mark of like, does this appeal to the Korean audience? And does this appeal to people who don't speak English but aren't going to get it translated for them? That's and does this appeal to, you know, teenage boys who we've de- identified as the only people we want to put in the theater and et cetera, et cetera. So. Does this appeal to the dump truck that is that is currently dumping in concrete in Russ's apartment? <laughs> apartment. <laughs> I, I guess you I know. never thought about demographic bingo the way you're describing it, but I mean, yeah. I, I guess so. I mean, I guess there's some of that going on. Um, and no one is content to just like make a movie to be a, a movie or a story. Like everything is, you know, which like yes, people have been worried about the bottom line for a long time, but it feels like the artistry is caveated with you know. And how's it going to play to these twenty-four different demographics? I guess I also guess it's I guess it's easier too for an action movie to have you know a lot of intellectual insight than to have an intellectual movie stand on its own without having to try to add action. Because I was thinking about movies that I've been really impressed with the writing about, and I was thinking about like the Bourne series. Um, I thought the Bourne series of movies was really really well written and smart. 
but it's an it's essentially it's a thriller it's an action film which can then afford to have a lot of intelligent moments because definitionally it's going to have action moments and no one's going to go well this is dumb why is there action you know because it's a thriller and it's like designed that way but you're right that it's sort of easier for them to do that than it is for a movie which doesn't need to have action per se and just throws it in because they're playing this this demographic bingo thing i guess i'm just not convinced i i guess i've always felt sure. like i'm not convinced that the audience is as as sort of one note and one dimensional as the people producing work for them believes. I've often believed oh, I that that's agree not the with case, you, there, yeah. you know? So, I yeah. don't know. I mean, and not just an indie crowd. I think the people are, I think they're, and then the thing that happens, this happens with games too. You know, they'll release a game which is smart and sells really well. A uh, good example of this is the Shadowrun Returns uh, role-playing game that came out. And they were like, wow, this sold a ton and it was a huge success and everyone likes it. And that they're like, wow, see, and the company's like, and then all of a sudden they have this brain fart and it's like whatever the heck that Adam Sandler movie is with you know, 10 first dates or 100 first dates, whatever it is where the woman keeps forgetting, 50, 50 yeah. first dates. And so like the very next day they come up, they're like, all right, let's make another action game. And you're like, wait, what about an RPG? That'll never sell. And you're like, but, but, but what? I just showed you that it's sold. It's like they keep forgetting that, that people do like things where they're intellectually challenged also, you know? Well, people are afraid of work, I think, is like a lot of <laughs> there what you this go. comes down to. No, I mean, it really is. No, like, I agree These with you. <laughs> things are hard. Like, it's hard to write a smart script that's good and is compelling and actually, like, it's a lot more, like, it's a lot more work to appeal to people who have their brains turned on and, like, keep them entertained and interested than it is to appeal to people who don't have their brains turned on or aren't looking for that. And it just goes explodey. And it's like, you know what would be cool? If Mount Ru Rushmore blew up. Yeah. And then, you know, like, that's just easier. So people are not, you know, it's I don't not think really an era where people are looking for. Sorry, I'm just road. getting down some script ideas while you guys. Oh, yes, yes. I was going to say, <laughs> uh, make sure you get the nuance, the Rushmore nuance <laughs> of the explosion. There has to be nuance of, like, which face blows up first. And I'm like, oh, wait, they already did that in Superman. They redesigned the Rushmore like faces times, to look probably. like the Kryptonians. No, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of that thing. Um, well, I mean, maybe you're right. I had never thought about it in that exact way, but um, I don't know. I'm glad to see that there are still some, uh, still some movies that can that can survive in an independent way without having to make those compromises. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely it's been interesting to see that. As actually, as we were talking, I was clicking over to look at um, a couple other things, and I noticed um, I had um, bookmarked uh, my novel, and I was going to tell you guys. Um, that uh, my first novel, The Third Sign, um, I am about to sell uh, the last copy that I possess. Um, and that means that the only copies which remain, which are readily available for purchase, are on Amazon. And you'll be happy to know that they start at $229.02. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you I was like... a collector's item. Uh, exactly. I'm like, I wonder why this is. Oh. <laughs> so so now people are going to be like, where can I get your novel? I'm like, well, you can pony up $230 and uh, <laughs> you can see where that goes from there. And uh, it, the most expensive uh, clocks in at, uh, let's see... Four hundred and thirty-five dollars and six cents. That's that's used. That's used, by the way. That's used. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Are you selling yours, be just for for fun and profit, or like why are you getting I, rid of your last copy? I know. Well, you because I, well, because I had a couple left. And you're <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not at that price. I mean, I have one. I basically have two, I have these two books that I'm selling to two viewers of mine for my Twitch channel, and then I have one that happens to be water damaged. I have one water damaged copy remaining. And that's it. Besides, obviously, my own personal copies. Yeah. Say again. Okay. 
You're selling that for three fifty, right? Right, exactly. That's seven hundred fifty-eight. Yeah. I actually had yeah. one of my people, one of the folks who bought it, wanted a copy. I had two water uh, damaged copies, and they wanted one of the water damaged ones. And they were like, "I'd even pay extra for it because I'm strange." They're like, "I feel like I'm reading like some grimoire if I like I read one that's damaged." Well, they're hoping. I mean, if this is becoming a collector's item, they're hoping it becomes like the error Honus Wagner card, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. I got the special water damaged one yeah. for, that, with actual water from the author's apartment. <laughs> yeah, like that's no seriously. I, I'm maybe so. I mean, serious. you know, you know what we need to do with this, Greg. We need up? to leverage this to bring value to Mepcoin. <laughs> yeah. Hey, How much Mepcoin would you spend? Yeah. That yeah. All Finally. future, all future book sales in the secondary market of the third sign must be conducted through Mepcoin, through Mepcoin. and it's already got value because people want it for hundreds of dollars. So there Indeed. you go. This in is the this LA is the way of the Mep Vault. I currently hold a copy of the third sign yep. and a first edition of loosely based. Uh, yes. Bound Kinko style. In oh a yeah, the the, the pre thing. I yeah, have that. A... I have that too, actually. Yes. So that's enough backing for Mepcoin, if you ask me. Absolutely. Uh, so if Russell just hurry up and write a book, uh, we can we can add that in, and then we can get the perfect the trifecta. Well, I also have my uh, my doctorate in immortality here. Of physical, <laughs> physical so doctorate. so if Russ can just get started <laughs> and write his book, uh, it'll be just fine. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have your doctorate already. You should just get to work on the tr the second treatise on immortality. Yeah. Hey, speaking of my doctorate and new projects, uh, I actually just launched a brand new website uh, with a friend of yeah. mine. Ooh, what is it? Um, it's called YouTuberReview.com. Uh, and basically, the notion is that YouTube has been completely taken over by these Let's Play videos, which are basically people recording them. And Greg is obviously well familiar with this phenomenon, yes. Yes. Uh, which is people recording themselves playing a video game um, either on YouTube or to a live audience with Twitch like Greg does. And so I I've noticed, I mean, these are wildly popular, like insanely popular. The most yep. popular dude on YouTube who does this has more subscribers than Lady Gaga, than President Obama, than anyone you can name. He's the number one most subscribed channel with like 38 million subscribers, I think. And that's what's... what? Uh, it's PewDiePie. It's PewDiePie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, we've decided PewDiePie. that since, you know, the, these, these people feel that they're woefully under-respected and under-covered, that we're going to be a high-level media outlet that covers these people. And writes articles about that is the most the meta thing I've. Ever I was heard just thinking life. that, and like m -m 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 meta. Uh, Russ, I'd like to um, uh, point you to Arvin Elleron YouTube channel where you can find uh, some really compelling. Yep. As soon as you get stuff. a few million subscribers, Greg, let me I've know. I've got three hundred and twelve. Come on, I'm working on it. <laughs> I got three thousand Twitch followers. That's um, closer. But yeah, especially the articles that I'm writing under the pseudonym Doctor Laser Falcon are all intended to be like above the pay grade of anyone who would be watching these videos who are typically like 13 to 17 year olds <laughs> and so I'm writing these like very highfalutin analyses of these idiots playing video games and talking <laughs> about it. I, I'm it's actually one of the on most the, fun things ever. I'm on the fun. site right now so let me, let me just give really you a little compelling. bit of a sample. Um, it was with great skepticism that I undertook a viewing of Fong and his compatriots, Moose Knuckle, Weldcat, a Germanic <laughs> flavor of Vanos regular I Am Wildcat, and Dithy Denogla, as they narrated a playthrough of Call of Duty Zombies, a spinoff of 2008's Call of Duty's Worlds at War, which featured a hidden zombie level. This all happened in their video, Pot Zombies. The Vanos Quartet proceed to bunker themselves as they prepare for a Nazi zombie blitzkrieg of their U-Bahn-based bunker. Shortly after the first wave, Dathy goes all Billy Pingram on the group. It's only a two-hour... Huh? Pilgrim. Billy oh, Pilgrim. Billy Pilgrim. Didn't I say that? <laughs> Billy Pilgrim. Pingram. Pingram. 
I said Pingram? No. Yeah. Pilgrim. Sorry. You said Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Billy Roll Pilgrim back. on the group. It's only a two-hour Autobahn you know jaunt happens. from Ubon to Dresden and becomes unstuck in time. Anticipating a time-space descent to, tra uh, let's see, Tralfamador and beyond, he cries wah, wah to his compatriots who find this amusing as he has just acronymed the game's title, quite the meta-statement for an accidental time traveler. And on it goes from there. So that's <laughs> that's that kind of speaking. I mean, that's that kind of uh, high-level writing. In one year when this is caught on and becomes successful, mm -hmm. I will start a site which reviews the best of your reviews. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and then the circle will be complete. And he will call it youtuberreview.com. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 youtuberreview.com slash org. It actually has occurred to me that uh, a side project or a, uh, a, a, for this particular blog might be me doing an actual Let's Play video of somebody else's Let's Play video of just oh, no. commenting on them oh commenting on a video game and just <laughs> filling in the gaps. History <laughs> <laughs> Science 303,000 meta. Oh, wow. So that could happen also. Oh my gosh. I love this. I love everything about this. Uh, so I want to ask about some of your fellow wow. writers. Um, you've got Moonshine and then Princess yeah. Snuggle Bunny. Yeah, these are some of the best writers that coverage of Let's Play video genre has to offer. So... That there, there are a million of these guys. <laughs> Three of the four. I was going to say, There's where some of the best is classified one. as only. <laughs> God. What can I say? It's, my, it's a new field. My generation watched videos of people watching videos of people watching videos. Well, I mean, we talked about this, right? Like, this is the problem. There, there does come a point, right, where we just get so far away from any actual content that started everything that we just fall off the end of the building because there's nothing left to build on, right? I mean, there's a certain There's point. a reason we yeah. haven't met the aliens. It's meta, 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 meta game. m m, -m, -m meta Playing. Uh, I, uh... This is almost related to what we're talking about. I listened to this amazing Tim Ferriss podcast last night. All of his podcasts are amazing. I'm a huge advocate of what he does. Uh, but he was interviewing this ethnobotanist um, doctor who studies the effects of psychedelics and who is uh, into microdosing, which is taking very, very, very tiny amounts of these substances and seeing what effect they have on regular, everyday life. And uh, Tim Ferriss was relaying an anecdote about these people that he knew in his life who'd taken massive amounts of LSD and psychotropics and had really burned out and could not communicate with other people, could not connect with other people anymore. And the doctor explained this phenomenon using the analogy of, it's like uh, in a photography class, if you take a double exposure, you mm -hmm. have twice, as amount, twice the amount of information, but it's harder to decipher what the picture is. And then if you do a triple exposure, you have three times the amount of information, and it's a complete gobbledygook mess, piece of garbage that is useless. And so he argues that that is the, the fault of doing all these things, or perhaps of doing a video based on a video based on a video based on a video. <laughs> <laughs> and it all becomes meaningless very quickly. Oh, my goodness. I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. But not yet. I don't think this is meaningless yet. I think there's value in the coverage of the coverage of the game. So oh my goodness! Good. Well, the uh, market will decide, right? The people, <laughs> yeah. the people will vote with their adult, adult brains. <laughs> it is funny to hear people actually talk about the impact of a lot of these sites, the Uplays, and uh, obviously the Twitch stuff, and are often continue to be bemused by the fact that people are interested in this. And I don't mean as in the old, the old man get off my lawn. Or, Why would anyone watch that nonsense? But the idea that gamers would want to watch people playing games, 
still sort of boggles people's minds. And to me, I'm I don't, one of those people. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so. I, I guess the only thing I would say about it is it's like, I, I mean, we all sort of here appreciate certain sporting events that we watch. And there's an argument to be made that for a certain segment of the population, these are their sports with their own personalities. It's like they, they don't want to watch pro wrestling. And so they watch sort of this experience of playing something with the commentary so, involved in it, you know? I had a discussion. I mean, a lot of my former debate team, you know, who I recently saw again at Nationals and whatever, are really into this kind of thing. And I love video games. You know, I'm not the old man who doesn't understand any of these phenomena. And I've had this discussion, and this analogy was made to me. Here's the difference, and here's where I have a problem. I would not watch sports if I could play them at the level that the people who I watch play them at like if i were a baseball player i would not spend a lot of time sitting around watching sports i would play baseball and my life would be awesome um (laughs) not to say that my life is not awesome in other ways but like i i just don't quite you know like a video game to me the appeal of a video game and why i think it's better than television or better than other things is because it's interactive and like i guess if there were just a video game that i really wanted to see played and i were incapable of doing it then i could kind of see the appeal but the whole point about video games that makes them so cool is that they let you do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do in your life like run a civilization or build a city or play baseball at the major league level given that fact how do you how do you explain so many uh players that currently play in the nba being addicted to nba themed video games Mm. I mean, okay, I guess there's, like, another element in which, like, it would be really cool to then, like, play me on a video game. Like, <laughs> see that. Like, a lot of those ads. Story for three. Like, Got it. Like, like, that whole Yasiel Puig where, like, you know, the new baseball PlayStation game is based on Yasiel Puig or he's, like, the, the star person. And the whole ad for it is just watching him play him and be like, oh, this is so cool. Like... I, I can get that as like a different you know element of things like, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I don't. I just don't. But that's but that's different. Like I don't know. That's also different because that's not watching. Like that's having that interaction experience, right? And that's getting to like immerse yourself still more in the interaction to a well, certain extent. So let me let me actually add two bits to the mix because what your your okay. reaction is precisely the bemusement I was referring to. Like it's, okay. it's exactly what people it. say. Yeah, so I, I, cut you off. I okay. think there's two. No, no, it's no, 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 not all that. That yeah. was that was really good. So there's two things that come out of it for me. The first is that a lot of the people who watch also like to play, right? And so what you'll find is that either some of them multitask, I do not do this, where some people are like playing a game at the same time they're watching you play it, which is a little strange, but you know, that's that's fine. Or, Or more likely what they do is they will play a certain segment and then they'll kind of want to watch how you play it to see the decisions that you make. And they get incredibly excited when you get to certain sections. Like, for an example, I was streaming last night this game, uh, Pillars of Eternity, which is this role-playing game from Obsidian. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys who brought you Knights of the Old Republic 1 uh, and uh, Neverwinter Nights and a lot of the old-school RPGs. And I actually had one of their uh, their lead developer, Josh Sawyer, on my channel for an interview a few weeks back. So I was playing okay. it, and I was getting to the end of Act 2, where there's this climactic moment, which, unlike the last show, I will not spoil for you like I did with the Mass Effect stuff. <laughs> um, and it involves a series of decisions that you have to make and a lot of the people in the channel 
were super excited to hear about the prospect of they wanted to see what I was going to do. And when and like oh, in fact one of them ended up having their internet go down briefly when I made it and they came back they're like they're like oh crap they're like what did Arv do? What did he do? What did he do? And they're like what do you mean? They're like what did he, what did he decide? Did he let the person you know blah 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 or this? And they're like this. He's like yes and then it all caps. He's like yes Arv you made the right call. Big smiley face. They were so excited that like I had done what they had done or sometimes huh. they'll be like oh you did something different that's really cool. So it's like they get to they get to rather than having to replay the whole game they get to watch people playing different versions of it and then discuss it. Like, I talked to you guys about the Mass Effect thing during the show last week. That is exactly the kind of thing. At the end of my playthrough of Mass Effect, I had this probably close to an hour-long discussion with the many viewers on my channel about the ending and about what we thought about the choices and if it was a cop-out or if it was really quality and what mm. that all meant. And, like, they were really into it and talking about, like, what they thought about it and what the experience was like for them. So, you know, for one hand, they are players who want to see other players and like interacting with other players right about stuff like hobbyists would um so that's part of it the other thing i i would think and here's where greg gets into his optimistic you know we'll all get <laughs> alongside i think the in fact i'm convinced of it these people all of us want community i think they love the interaction and this is the foundation for that interaction in fact i had a guy today this morning who sent me a message thanking me for um play, you know for doing the stream and saying you know I'm he's like I'm an older gamer I'm in my 40s and um he's like I I really am grateful to you that you run a channel that's intellectual and fun and supportive and everyone you know it's a really great community and he's like and I also feel like I don't have to be embarrassed he's like if you who have a career and uh, you're a family guy and you know family man and whatever if you can like ha play these games and have fun with them and not feel embarrassed he's like I don't have to feel embarrassed either and feel like I can't tell anyone else that I'm doing it so hmm. there's a there's a real sense I think of the community aspect which is where the chat part comes in that to me is the genius of twitch it's making an incredibly effective and intuitive chat system part and parcel of the game if you just have the game by itself it doesn't work in fact they added a new feature about I guess five six months ago called theater mode where you can click on it and it basically full screens it where you can see the game in this sort of like widescreen window to the left but then the chat window is moved in a way that you can can still see that very clearly on the right so you get a larger okay. window of chat of of the game but you have not lost chat which is what you need to have according to twitch to be able to really interact with it that way so i think community is a big so part of it is players who play want to see other play see other people play but also i really think community is a big part of it and they want to connect along the lines of something else they love which is in this case video games if otherwise it would be model trains or I don't know, unicycle riding or whatever, right? Like, in this case, video games is sort of like the context for their community. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I guess, I mean, hearing you talk about it and hearing you talk about a lot of these games, like, I cannot remember the last time that I was really into, I mean, I guess it was Thief when I was in college, but, like, I almost never spend a lot of time playing, like, basically like unidirectional games like games that or linear games i guess you could think of them as being of like a game that has a starting point and an ending point and right. like fixed points that happen along right, right. the way um so i guess if it's something like that then then it's a journey that sort of is similar and and the story that you tell you know makes more sense than you know like civilization 
Civilization and SimCity and Minecraft and those kinds of things that are just totally open-ended are almost all of the games that I like. It's those in sports games, which sports games, most of them are pretty open-ended that you can play several seasons and make trades and transactions and other decisions that sort of make it unique. And at that point, like watching someone else control those kinds of open-ended games that you could do whatever you wanted with. I feel like you'd have to like really like the person individually to care that much about what their decisions are. But if it's more linear, you know, yeah, then I can kind of understand it being more like an experience that you're going through together. So that and makes, definitely, that makes more sense. And definitely the personalities can carry a lot of it. I mean, definitely the personality makes a difference at a certain level. And then there's also the sure. other side, which is the sort of esports crowd that watches these people just because they're so freaking good. And like those people watch it because like the League of Legends players, they watch them because they sure. could never be that good. I mean, I'm not interested in those kinds of games, so that doesn't matter to me. But like mm-hmm. for, for those types, that's a whole different that's a whole different ball of wax. But I have to say... Yeah, and I guess you that's know. where the sports analogy comes in, where it's like if you appreciate the strategy of something and it's happening at a much higher level than you're capable of, then, you know, that makes right. sense. I mean, the, those kinds of games leave me pretty cold, but I can, yeah, no, you know, too. I mean, me I, can, I, agree with you. I can imagine, like, I can imagine there being, like, a competitive type of game like that that I liked and was not very good at. I just, like, I don't know. Could I? Would I, would I really love to sit around and watch people, like, playing Dark Age of Camelot at a really awesome level? I don't think so. I think I just want to play at my crappy <laughs> level. That sounds good to me. Sign me up for that. <laughs> yeah. but I, I mean, mean like, they did make those kinds of videos, I've, didn't they? I I've guess I never watched them. them. They were available. People would do like their raid groups or their 8v8 groups and whatever, and it just was like, it just made me want to play. I was like, this is boring because I'm not getting to control it. I and and those are huge. I mean, like, those are those are a big thing. Obviously, World of Warcraft is a big sure. thing. Uh, Dark Age of Camelot is a big thing. I have to say that, you know, since you brought it up, Civilization is also a huge game uh, on this. So is City Skylines, which is like the, it's what Sim City should have been, the last Sim City. That is hugely popular. Minecraft is hugely popular. So, I mean, there are, huh. there's definitely... That uh, there, surprises me. Yeah. Like, oh. don't you... Minecraft is arguably you just want the, to be most, the single most popular game that people watch other people play. Of in all fact, of I'll, I'll take a look at it right now. Okay. I'll tell you guys, that I'm looking at my mobile app, and right now, the games that are listed as the most popular ones right now are uh, League of Legends 1. League of Legends is always 1, so that's, you know. Uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive is 2. That's usually up in the top 4. Hearthstone, which is like Magic Light. That's up there as yeah, well. Yeah, everyone's been trying to get me to play Hearthstone. So. It's it's kind of... I've played it. It's It's okay, but it's very much like... It's like magic with it's dumbed down magic, honestly. Um, so uh, then there's Rust, which is sort of a kind of the flavor of the month. I shouldn't. It's game out a while ago, but it's sort of a flavor of the month zombie game that people are into lately. Um, okay. De- Defense of the Agents, which is basically like another League of Legends style. That's always popular. And then uh, right now on this list, let's see. In twelfth place is Minecraft. So Minecraft is the twelfth most popular hmm. game. But in terms of YouTube let's plays, Minecraft is number one. Right, that which is right, exactly. Really? Is that, yeah, because they get is all that, these different ideas that and stuff. Instructional though, like those are more instructional. Um, than, no, like, they're often like, just people who have built how to build a redstone, worlds, blah, blah, blah. like showing other people their world. They want to see the amazing are, worlds too. Yeah, yeah, they they are actually like their own television series that just happen to take place within the world of somebody's Minecraft universe. That they have independent characters who have points of view and they interact with each other. They do little play acting things. It's this huge cornucopia of stuff that exists within Minecraft. Crazy. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I think, what I find interesting about it, and this is the same sort of thing that I find interesting about lots of stuff on the internet, 
is that there's a community for everything. So there's, uh, as an example, um, I am a variety caster. So that means that I play a variety of different games and they sure. tend to be focused on story and narrative, shockingly. Um, right. but, uh, but they, you know, but nonetheless, they're, they're games from all across the map. Well, so one of the games that I sort of tapped into was uh, this game called uh, Phoenix Wright. And for if you don't know what that is, Phoenix Wright is basically a game that originally came out for the Nintendo DS. And it's essentially a game where you um, work through a trial scene uh, work through a trial, huh. and you have to basically, like, as a lawyer, sort of, like, go through and, you know, raise objections at the right time and, like, push witnesses and all this kind of Crazy. stuff in an effort to get something. Now, Phoenix Wright, let me... I've just described something which sounds like the last part of Law & Order. It's Japanese and goofy, okay? So it's very okay. much, like, anime-ish type of... I like it a lot, but it's definitely got right. its own feels. There's, like, crazy characters and, you know, stuff like that. Um, huh. That, that too, is enormously po like uh, popular with a particular subset of people that I didn't know existed on Twitch. But when I started playing it, people were showing up to like, oh, this is awesome. I love this case. The best part is, and they didn't spoil it, but they're like, you're going to love this part. This new character's coming in. He's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah, that's so cool that you did that. I love the voiceovers you're doing. You know, when I did the voice, I did this, this, and this. And I was like, I had never seen these people before. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, I saw three other people playing this a couple weeks ago. And, like, and, and they just literally searched Twitch for people playing that game, like that set of games, okay. basically. Um, huh. So those communities, those sub communities, exist for all these things. Some people really love, uh, you know, the the um, uh, the music, like the the rhythm game type things, you know, like Rock Band and Guitar Smith and Rocksmith and stuff like that. And they search for those things, you know, exclusively. And in fact, Twitch even added a little search for game feature. So if your favorite game is being played, right. that pops up too. So it's it's interesting. Like so, sometimes it's personality, and I've tried to build a channel where people are interested in me as much as the game I play. Part of it is is the game and part of it is this community of people and how they sort of interact with each other the speedrunning community is a huge one people love speedrunning games and they love watching people go for and, and that's you yeah, know and, they're and going for world records they're, they're and stuff achingly like that. boring and unfulfilled lives that have <laughs> yeah. no <laughs> yes, interaction in that need to be filled by the voice over the earbud cord which is the only thing that ties them yes. to wanting to live Yes, which, which I mean, I it does. It does occur to me there is a yearning, a deep yearning of the soul that does seem to come out in some of this. Of like, I mean, but yeah, people people want to connect, and I think you can look at that optimistically as Greg does, or pessimistically <laughs> as Russ does. But um, you know, so that that part, I don't know. It just seems like a strange, a slightly strange place to look to connect. But um, but I get it. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, yeah, if you deeply love certain video games, like it's certainly a, a better, easier entree to connection than a lot of other things that could be out there. So it makes and, sense. And the Internet, of course, has made this ubiquitous, too. Right. I mean, like there, there are. Sure. I mean, if you ever go on to like, for example, Sons of Sam Horn, which is the Red Sox blog. Um, right. If you if you go on to Sons of Sam Horn, they have these game threads, and people are interacting with each other as they're watching things happen in real time, and that's a riot. Right. Like, it's a riot to watch them write about these experiences because they're so over the top and they're so nonsensically, mm -hmm. you know. And they and they acknowledge as such. They acknowledge that like some guy striking out in the fifth inning, and they're just like, there are times when I really wish this person would leap from the green monster, you know. Like there's they're, they're they know that it's over the top, but it's amusing and engaging and interesting, and it's a community of people who are apparently sure. all having regular lives and doing regular things but they experience 
that this is a community they want to be able to connect with, except in this case mm-hmm. around baseball. So, uh, you know, I, I just I think that you're right about the interactivity. Oh, yeah. Of the and game, I, but, hey, I am yeah. I am all as we all come from after. I am all for insular communities that really <laughs> like to do the same thing that they all like to do. Like, I will never, you know, fault anyone for their insular community, like, you know, with its own jargon and its own interest level and whatever. Like, you know. Obviously, um, as the person who's probably spent the most number of total hours in APTA in history in one form or another, like, I'm hardly going to object to that. So, you know, um, no, it's more it's more about a relatability of this being the basis for community. If it's an excuse for community, like, excuses for community are all probably equally good. I th- so. And I think that is for a lot of people. Now, not all, but right. I think it is for sure. a lot of people. But it is interesting, too, that it becomes... It is also a way that you sort of bridge gaps and it starts that way and then ends up being, you know, like I got the audio editor for the other podcast that I do speculate, which is a very serious podcast about speculative fiction. I got the audio editor as one of my Twitch viewers, you know, happened to be the guy who did it. I mean, and he's because he's a bass player and uh, he's an audio guy. So he's done lots of audio work in the past. And he, you know, we got him and he's a tremendous audio editor. That's a guy I never would have met in any other context. And his day job Mm -hmm. is that he handles hazardous material for FedEx so he like he like loads planes at night with like hazardous materials you know and then I mean so this is not I would never run into this person like we would not be moving in the same circles and yet you know here was this way that we were able to sort of bridge the gap and you know obviously my channel is run in such a way that it's it's not going to appeal to the the juvenile you know like we do not have people do not make rape jokes on my channel. They do not make sort of leet speak is sort of, you know, limited to the let's not be, you know, incredibly destructive towards other people as a part of a community. So please drop the racist and sexist and transphobic language at the door type of thing. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I run that kind of channel. And so I do attract those kind of people because other people like, you know, leave when it's very clear that I'm not going to I don't want bigots, you know, hanging out. But right. with that said, there's a pretty wide cross-section of people in society who are not bigots and who I would still not have run into in other contexts. Well, Greg, I wouldn't so. start shooing away potential subscribers if you want to be covered by YouTuber <laughs> review. I need, I need to appeal to the bigot community, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So have be you... more of an umbrella personality like PewDiePie who just says poo and then laughs in front so... of the video game. Russ, do you view this as a, do you view this either, please be honest now as we're giving you truth serum, do you view this new project of yours as either um, incredibly um, manipulative clickbait or do you see it as this very advanced form of satire or are you genuinely interested in people playing YouTube games and talking about them? I mean, playing games on YouTube and talking about them. As you know, as a child of the 80s, I've been interesting, interested in watching people comment on video games they've been playing since I was a child. Uh, it's been a lifelong passion of mine, really. <laughs> only now have I really developed the world sense that I need to yes. appropriately commentate and communicate about what the subtext is, what's right. going on right. underneath the surface. It's the man meeting the moment, really. Young geniuses yeah. just pour into these titles that we all love so very much. Yep. And I, it's, yeah, it's mostly. No, it's yeah, definitely yeah. minimal. <laughs> I was like, are you it's running for president? Yeah. What's <laughs> and furthermore, so is it satire? Is it satire or is it just Well, a, yeah, like, I mean, look, I've decided, we decided let's make a website that people will want to read regardless of who we are. We have nothing to do with it. And so then the question becomes, well, now that we're doing this, how can I entertain myself while I'm doing this project? So that's really... <laughs> 
Okay. Two main motivations. So how is the, what has the early response been to this uh, project? It's, I mean, we launched today officially. So okay. <laughs> what has the response so, been in the last 12 hours? Yours, Greg. What's your response? I am, I am moved response? to tears by this thing, and I, I am so drawn to it. Um, so, okay. It, I mean, it's a nice-looking site. Thank you. I just, yeah, I mean, I like, mean Look, it, I mean, it, it's totally an experiment because given that I know that the demographic that for the most part is subscribing to PewDiePie is like 13 to 17, and that they literally won't understand much of what I'm writing about. <laughs> and I, I find that interesting. I'm like, would they try to learn about, can I add to their education in, in writing these highfalutin articles about something they think that they like? Will they try to learn more? I mean, probably I mean, not. Can you? Probably, Wait, probably will not. You? <laughs> but you know. I'm interested to see if, if it doesn't. You know, of course, you realize what the actual end game. The first, the first sign that you're reaching a particular like critical mass of interest will be when you get offered. Probably, I would guess from Wesleyan, but it might be McFarland to write some academic treatise based upon what you've seen under the mistaken assumption that you really are interested academically in the, you know, what's going on in this, this sort of world. That's, that's going to be the first step. They're going to ask you to write some sort of theoretical constructs and stuff that kind of describe this because they have this vague sense they want to appeal to the cool kids while still being academic. So that will happen at some point if this goes well. Like, you'll know I when you start doctor, getting... When, you, when they ask you to do a say, TED Talk, you know? It's yeah. too bad. I literally was going to say, it's too bad you already have your doctorate because this would make a hell of a doctoral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, check that box. Uh. Years ago. I Literally, I checked the box. Yeah, so I was just going to say, you literally did that. <laughs> you literally did that. That's basically. Oh. Uh. All right, well, we have to wrap Still this up. One of my favorite map moments. <laughs> oh god we have we have to wrap this up in a few in a couple of minutes but story before we do i want to um offer my yes. um condolences on the failure of the pelicans to advance uh and the blazers, uh, and, the blazers. and the blazers to advance beyond the round oh i think this now yes, brings to i know um, it went one and eight in the playoffs 25 consecutive years that your teams have failed to do anything so i you know your collective sports um, teams I just made that that's number up. I don't know if that's true. Not true. Yeah, I was like, the NBA Finals definitely counts as doing something. Was that 25 um, years ago? Let me see. Yes, oh I guess so. It was is that the, was that the actually, Zombie Sonics when they became really, the Oklahoma City? We're really old. No. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. Uh, okay, fuck you all. <laughs> I like my teams. Good night. <laughs> uh, Stephen Curry for three uh, got it uh, <laughs> Jesus. No. I mean if, for those of you who aren't aware which is everyone in the world outside of the Bay Area and New Orleans um, I mean I don't know I guess a couple other people love Steve Curry but or Steph Curry or whatever he's calling himself these days um, yeah the, the Pelicans had a 20 point lead in game three uh, which was their first home game there at that one? Oh, it was there. I was really there. Sure. I was watching it. Yeah. I was I, I don't miss Pelicans games anymore. We actually just got season tickets. That's amazing. And we got and for getting season tickets, we got like all these cheap playoff tickets, which we then sold the extras on StubHub. So we were paid $170 to go to both playoff games. Amazing. Um it was awesome. So anyway, like I also like for another time when we have more time, have thoughts on how to speculate my new speculative sideline career is becoming a stub a reseller. reseller nice um, yeah. yes 
but because there's real real money to be had there if you but real risk too it's like its own form of poker that's like slightly riskier i think but i'm not sure um but it's but possibly more consistently lucrative anyway so this all happened so the pelicans literally had a 20 point lead with eight minutes to go in the game and blew it to overtime and then fell apart in overtime and lost so and that was game three where like if they had they could have held court and then if they had just beaten the Golden State Warriors by like twenty, the amount of momentum swing that that would be would have been really impressive. But instead it was blowing a twenty point lead and then they like basically didn't show up for game four. It was really heartbreaking. It was really sad. And in fairness, they really blew it to Steph Curry, who's one of the best players in the game. I mean, they was yeah, actually I mean, just and, him and by himself. Shot, to be fair, yeah. like even that twenty point lead, like they had blown seventeen points of it. They still had a chance to make two free throws to make it a four-point game with, like, seven seconds, which would have put it away. But Anthony Davis, who is an incredible player in his own right, missed the first free throw of two. And then Steph Curry still had to make one of the most ridiculous three-pointers of the entire season, where he would, like, literally add two Pelicans, like, like actual Pelicans in addition to, like, <laughs> Because they use those him. when needed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, ah! like, flying at him out of nowhere. He was in the corner. He had already missed one three, and this was the second three with, like, point eight to go, uh... and two Pelicans, like, flying, screaming at him, and, like, <laughs> while he was falling out of bounds into the second row, like, seriously, just go look up game three. Wall's story is, like, like I was about to like, say poking While everyone in the, in the stadium is, like, screaming and dying and throwing eggs, like, it was one of the most totally ridiculous. It was a ridiculous shot. shot. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous also because it, yeah, because he missed the first one. So the first right. shot he misses, and you're like, okay, and this happens all the time. He misses a shot, you throw it out there, then he gets a second shot, and then he misses the second one, and maybe it's close. But like he misses the first one, sets up for an impossible, ridiculous shot, which is like kablam, nothing but net. And you're just like, what? Yeah. Like he's like, Let and me it's like every you know? Steph Curry three that goes in, which like is no risk. Nothing but a perfect swish, like yes. is on just a beeline every single time. It's just ridiculous. So I, I, I do. He's, have to, uh, he's still good at basketball. He's you know, an amazing player. Do. I do have to say this, but and by the way, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's frustrating, but at least you don't have to feel like it wasn't a foul call. I mean, like he just he just made an incredible shot. Like I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like he he just cheated his way. He flopped, and they gave him two foul free throws, or you know, they he had to hit yeah. some amazing shot. No, to do I it. mean it's definitely like I mean, yeah. When it's one of those things. I mean, one of the things I always liked about being a sports fan in the Pacific Northwest is that like you have very civil fans who, which like Russ hates about fans like this in the West because he thinks. <laughs> It means that people don't care, but it's just that people are good people and good sports. So, like, you know, if if someone makes a great fielding play in Seattle against Seattle, like, the Seattle fans will clap yes. because it's an impressive play, and yes. it's great. And I really love that about Northwest sports fans. So it's one of those things that, like, while people were frustrated and, like, booing the other team and whatever else, like, some of the reactions to some of the plays that Steph Curry would make, it just it was just kind of silence. It's just like, well... That's an amazing shot. Or people would just sort of shrug in the stands and look at each other and be like, well, he's a damn good basketball player. Like, what are you going to do? Like, like if he's going to do that, then he's probably going to beat us and he probably deserves to. And like, (laughs) okay. Like, it it reminds me of a there's yeah. nothing you can do about that, you know. It Sometimes reminds me of a, just better. It reminds me of a story of being at a, a UConn game many, many years ago. Um, I had season tickets for the UConn Huskies many years. This is like the early '90s when I was going to uh, college there, and uh, and it was at the Hartford Civic Center, and they were playing Pittsburgh. 
And I remember watching them playing Pittsburgh. It was a game that they would ultimately win. But there was this one game that the guy from Pittsburgh hit to send it in overtime. And this guy who was part, because if you, and you'll know this story now, at, when you get to be a season ticket holder of anything, you get to know the people around you. Like you right. get to know when they go and, and when someone, did, when they don't come, you're sure, like, oh, sure. hi, who are you? And all that stuff, right? So <laughs> this one right. guy was well known for like, he was a nice enough guy, but like when he would actually get into the game, he would sort of make these absurd yells like he would be like yeah but then he'd be cheering and saying these things are just ridiculous clearly he had let his emotions get the best of him so the guy hits this incredible right. three-point shot and he gets up and he just he like dithers for a minute he's like that, that was that was crap okay just crap and he just yes it was crap at the guy like he just it, the guy didn't do anything wrong it was not illegal he was just so frustrated he's like some, sure. some universal constant was violated he's just like that that was just not that was wrong there that was that was the way he was acting it was really funny that was just crap yeah okay three-pointer violates my worldview so yeah that just that just that's just completely wrong it. although i will have to say since uh, yeah. we have we have inside knowledge of this story uh i am going to point out that um russ will agree with me here there is one of the three of us who was well known for uh, heaving up three-pointers from many places on the court <laughs> and saying and i quote it's there <laughs> and then watching as it would be drained with nothing but net. Uh, I, I believe one of us did that call the time. And I'm wondering if you saw an echo, perhaps, of this person when you saw <laughs> Steph Curry hit this shot. Um, oh, I mean, Steph Curry is the basketball player that if I had ever had realistic aspirations, if I had not been cut from my eighth grade basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> it all went south from there. And that is where the dream died. Um, <laughs> Steph Curry is exactly the player that I personally would have wanted to be. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Like, you can keep your dunkers and your show-offs. Like, Steph Curry with the effortless, like, drain threes over and over is the player I've always been trying to be. So, absolutely. Yeah. No, which which is part of why I can't get that upset because it's just kind of like, like I mean, what is there about the Steph Curry story that you don't like? Like he went to a small school that was obscure and took them to like greatness. Like he trains threes. He's like a modest guy. Like the, like what well, can you possibly? The, part, the not? part that I don't like is that he's a legacy, so that he grew up with his dad being in the NBA, which made things you know a lot easier than for a random person. Yes, but then he, he like grew into play, his though. like six right. one frame or whatever. Like I don't yeah. know. Like I I mean sure, yeah. That's I mean that's always something that's frustrating me about like the future of coaching and broadcasting, both things that at one point in my life I aspired to do. And it's like, nope, there will never again be a coach or a broadcaster who didn't play. And that's like just kind of sad because I feel like baseball especially has like a long line of like really phenomenal like stewards of the game who are broadcasters who didn't happen to play right um but still love the game as much as people who played it but will forever be locked out once once vin scully you know vin scully and his ilk die and i mean once you can have you can definitely have like crappy players that end up going i mean like that that can certainly happen like i mean sort of nothing players um you know as opposed sure. to people like you know that that often happens like joe torrey uh, Joe Torrey was actually a very good player, but there were definitely other ones that you're like, this guy was not very good, you know. And he, I mean, Billy Martin was a crappy utility player who rose to become one of the most important managers in Yankees history, you know. But he was a nothing player, um, and so there, there's, yeah. But he was still, I mean, a nothing player is still being in the top like half of one of like the world. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, picked yeah. Up baseball, yeah. Like, yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. So you know, it's still not, it's still not you and me. That's I agree. Me. 
I agree. But that, I have to say, dear MEP listeners, as we've come to the end of an hour, that is in your hands. You can make story a coach again. It's up to you, and um, it starts with your liberal use of MEPCoin. If uh, you want to figure out a way um, to get story to be a coach... <laughs> How are they... This is... This is gonna this is gonna be a long shot. I want to see the the trail of paths that lead from Mepcoin to me being a I, I major league baseball. I want you to be a coach. Now I can't promise you're gonna be a manager, but I want to get to some place where you're coaching a team, and then I want Mepcoin to be part of the trail. If if we, and actually, if yeah. you can make Story a coach of a team, even for a brief period of time, I have a feeling he would give up a whole lot of his Mepcoin to you. I'm just gonna assert that they would he would do yes. that. I'm pretty yes, confident that he would do that. <laughs> and if you want to know more about that, you should uh, get in touch with us. Let us know. Uh, please contact us at mepreport.com. Please spread the word about the show. And uh, yeah, thanks as always for listening. And let us know what you think about the chances of any of us being able to be coaches in the future, even if we are not the YouTube players that Russ is covering on his site. Say goodbye, everybody. Uh, out of that case. <laughs> <laughs> I got it this time, okay? Uh. Well, the last time I saw old man he knew him better da da da. He was chasing a female he knew him better da da da. As he shot past, I heard him say, "She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pace of a kangaroo." But I don't She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pace of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, better da 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 da. Thrush can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, better da 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 da. Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. Emu can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can round the pits on the kangaroo. Well, the kookaburra laughed and he said, It's true, um, better da 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 da. Ah!